0: describe people as being obsessed with something or another. You know, when they have a, something that maybe it's a new TV show and, oh, he or, he's obsessed with that show or a new habit. And, and wouldn't it be neat if people would look at us and say, oh, she is obsessed with Jesus Christ. He is obsessed with the kingdom of God. Just can't stop talking about. Obsessed. So would the Lord bless us all to be obsessed with Jesus Christ and with his kingdom? Church family, we are picking up in Acts. For those of you who are visiting, we're um, preaching our way through the book of Acts. And we're at chapter 10 this morning. And we're about to begin a really exciting story that uh, is actually going to be broken into four pieces in terms of preaching. It's a little bit lengthy. There's a lot in it. And um, I'm going to just be preaching the first eight verses this morning. So Acts 10, 1 to 8. But context is really important. And so I'm going to read the whole story, not every week, but just this week. I'll read the whole story and then preach a little shorter on verses 1 to 8. What page is it on? 1707, 1707 in, the, in the Blue Pew Bibles. Okay. So Acts... At, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Let me just say a little bit about that. That, that uh, means he was a commander or like the equivalent of an army captain over about a 100 people. And that regiment was not part of a regular legion. You know, the legions had about 6,000 soldiers. This was like an auxiliary unit of about a 100 people. And he would be the the captain or the the commander of it. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people a holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, And had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying And a number of other translations say fasting. Four days ago, I was in my house praying or fasting at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts people from every nation who reverence him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him, After he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit came on, or upon, all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even upon the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the home of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who'd been sent to me from the Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he'd, he'd seen an angel in his house, appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he'd come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. The word of God. How many of you have heard of or have been following the story of the uh, Thai soccer team? Anybody? For for those of you who are unfamiliar, a, a group of 11 to 16-year-old boys, maybe 13 of them, and their coach uh, just a little over two weeks ago were on an outing together, and they decided to venture into a cave, and uh, they got in a fair bit, fair ways, and then a flash, a storm hit, and the runoff water from the storm caused caused the cave to flood and fill, and um, they didn't find the boys for about a, nine days, nine days. They uh, knew that they were in there because their bikes were up against the, leaned up against a rail at the entrance to the cave, so they'd been searching for them for nine days before they found him. Well, the saga has been unfolding over the last week. Uh, in In great detail on the news, because all the world 's leverage uh, resources have been leveraged to try to get into this cave, so the Thai government has thrown everything that they can at at trying to drill holes to to find um, other ways to get in to bring air in to um, they 've been drilling holes where they suck water out they 've sent navy seals in who 've gotten through to them and brought them food and and whatnot actually are teaching some of them to swim and um, they actually one of the Navy seals has lost his life it's it's that dangerous so so here's the thing I'm n- not just the Thai government like other governments of the world so there's British Navy seals helping out Elon Musk the um, owner of Tesla has sent engineers i mean it's like the the best that the world can offer is is that the 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 disposition of these folks to try to get these boys out of this cave. And uh, it's reaching crisis point right now. They're saying, actually, as we speak, that um, they don't have any more time to wait. And so they sent the Navy SEALs in to try to swim them out. But here's, here's what I want to say about that. From moment one, every single person who's been involved has had the desire to get these boys out. And that it's not for lack of desire that they aren't out yet. It's because of obstacles that have to be surpassed, that are difficult to surpass, that they're not out yet. And I want to turn that and I want to say, strange as this might sound, God has a problem. God has some obstacles in his way. Historians tell us that at the time of Jesus, there are approximately 300 million people on the earth. That might seem small to you because we've got over 7 billion now, but 300 precious souls is a lot of people. And maybe one to two million of those are Jews, a small percentage of whom have heard the gospel. So that leaves 298 million people on earth for whom God desperately loves. For God so loved the world, and that's not a blanket statement. That's a, I love you and you and you and you and every person. He so loved the world, so desperately loved the world, that he gave his only son. And he doesn't just love the world now. He's loved the world for a long time. This has been bubbling up and building in God's heart since the beginning. I mean, Genesis 12 tells us he gives that promise to Abraham. When we say, when he chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to work through you to bring salvation. He says, I'll bless all nations, not just one, all nations through you. When God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before he brings jesus he says in isaiah forty-five twenty-two, turn to me all the ends of the earth turn to me and you'll be saved Forty-nine twenty-two. look i will beckon i'll call i'll beckon to the gentiles gentiles is of is the word they use for anyone who is not jewish it's the rest of the world that's us gentiles Isaiah fifty nine nineteen From the west, men will fear or reverence the name of the Lord. And from the east, from the rising of the sun, they'll revere His glory. So you've got this love of God and this desire of God to draw all people to Himself and to communicate, okay, I've done it. I've made a way for you to come back to me. There's peace. There's healing. There's new life. And yet there's an obstacle in the way, a twofold obstacle, two parts. Part one, there's an astonishing self-limitation that God's put on himself. He's capable, but he's not the one who's sharing the good news and neither are the angels. Isn't it interesting that the angel does not share the gospel message with Cornelius it's not a privilege given to angels by and large. It's a human responsibility. And so the angel has to show up and deliver a message that he has to send for someone who's 30 miles away. See, not to God, not to angels, but to humans has God given this responsibility. And so what's part two of that obstacle? Part two is the humans who've got the good news don't think it's for the rest of the world. Don't think it's for the Gentiles. Despite what God has already told him, Jesus was really clear. You're going to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the ends of the earth with this good news. And so far that, and Samaria, so far that's it's gone to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. I remember the Samaritans, the Jews viewed like half half breeds, like they were half Jewish. So, Okay. Okay, them, but not the Gentiles. And you'll notice God's got to tell Peter three times he's got to say the same two things. We've been saying over the last few weeks, as we looked up to the characters in Scripture, we've been saying, you know, they're ordinary human beings just like you and me. We can do the same things led by the Spirit. Today we can look at them and say they're ordinary human beings like you and me. Boy, we can be slow boy, we can get stuck easy. But that's where they are. Not considering bringing the gospel message beyond where it's gone. And there are 298 million people that God wants to draw in. And so what does God do? Like a master strategist, he begins to call the right people together. Because I think in the wisdom of God, He knows that it needs to be Peter. It needs to be a leader in the church. It needs to be someone who's going to be believed. And He, and He chooses then Cornelius and visits him with an angel to draw them together. Well, this question struck me as I uh, meditated on this passage this week. Why Cornelius? God, if there's 298 million people that you could choose to be the first one to receive this honor of being the first one that you would bring out of the Gentile world into your kingdom, why Cornelius? And I want to sit on that question for a few minutes this morning. I think the angel begins to answer it for us. The angel says when he greets Cornelius, he's first the text says that Cornelius was God-fearing, that he was devout, means really devoted and faithful, and that he was generous. But then the angel says this when he greets him, your gifts and your prayers have risen, picture that, risen as a memorial offering. What does that mean? What is a memorial offering? In, in, in Leviticus chapters one and two, God is, He's helping The descendants of Abraham, the people through whom he's going to bring Jesus and whom he's just brought out of slavery, he's helping them begin to know him. And he's helping them learn what it looks like to worship him appropriately, because he's not like all the other gods of the nations. And so he's giving instructions about different types of offerings that are to be given to him. And the first offering that he talks about, all of chapter one, is called the burnt offering. And he gives very, very specific instructions about the blood sacrifice that needs to be offered for atonement of sins. There's not one thing about the instructions that he gives that's flexible or bendable. Very specific instructions. And of course, we know that those animal sacrifices pointed to the lamb that we sung about this morning when we said, who would have thought that a lamb could take away the sins of the world? That that was Jesus, that those sacrifices were always pointing to Jesus' shed blood that would cleanse us from our sins. So you've got the whole chapter, chapter one, about these burnt offerings. And then God turns and he says to Moses in chapter two, he gives him instructions for grain offerings. And these are really different. Because these weren't required. These were free will offerings. These were, God, I want to thank you for how you've blessed me. God, I am so grateful. I want to give back to you. And so you could take something from your harvest. And you didn't have to take just grain. It could be cakes or it could be something else. But you, whatever you took... You took the raw material and you brought it to the priest. And the Lord said, actually, the majority of it was for the priest to eat. That's how they were sustained. But what I want you to do is take a little bit of the crushed grain. And I want the priest is going to add some oil, which always represents the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And then some incense. And you're going to burn it. And when it is burned, it rises up before me like a memorial offering. A sweet incense before the Lord. Okay? So what God is saying to Cornelius in this passage is he's saying, Cornelius, the life you're living, the way that you are seeking me, the way that you're praying, the way that you're giving, the way that you're fasting... It's really pleasing to me. It's rising up before me. You know, this word memorial is actually the same word that is used for the prostitute who anoints Jesus by pouring out uh, all of that uh, precious, precious perfume. Yeah, on Jesus' feet and wiping her hair with it. And it says that the story will be told as a memorial. She'll be remembered So this is God's way of saying, when he uses this word, it's his way of saying, when you do these things, when you make these offerings in the Old Testament and to Cornelius, when you live this way, I see it. It rises up before me. You might just be one of 298 million or one of 7 billion, but I see it. It rises up before me and it is sweet. It's sweet. And I'm responding to what you're doing. And so, Go and send men to Joppa. I want to be really clear here that God is not talking about burnt offerings and atonement. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins. So God's not saying to Cornelius, oh Cornelius, the way you're living your life, you've just earned my favor and my forgiveness. And therefore, because you've earned my favor and forgiveness, uh, go send to Joppa. No, God is saying, Because you have lived your life in a way that pleases me, I'm going to deliver to you what you lack. You are seeking me, you're hungry, and you know something's missing, and maybe he's even asking for it, and God's saying, I'm going to provide you with Christ, whom you lack. But first, God is saying to him, you're pleasing me. You're pleasing me. And I'm responding to what you're doing that's pleasing me. And why I want to linger here and ask about why in 298 million did he choose Cornelius is because I think this gives us a chance to reflect on the same thing. That though we know God, though we are atoned for through Jesus Christ, we too have the opportunity to offer free will offerings. And so we just get the chance to ask this morning, when God, who Romans describes as the searcher of hearts, the Bible says is the one who knows all things. When he looks at you and when he looks at me, what is rising up to him? And is it sweet? Is it pleasing? I'm not talking about here on Sunday morning, though this is pleasing to the Lord, but I'm talking about through our days and our weeks. So maybe think about, this is all of life, right? I mean, Romans 12 says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, your lives as living sacrifices. Sacrifices. Holy and pleasing unto the Lord. So I don't want to say it's not any part of life, but I'd like you to think out, outside of your, what you do for the majority of your time. And you could think about your spare time and how you organize it and what you choose to do. When the Lord looks at our choices, are they choices that rise up before Him as pleasing? Jan was saying this morning, the Lord, the Lord's convicting me to pray for the lost. Well, that's something that takes time and effort. And um, sometimes it's painful because actually you're entering into the pain of God, right? A heart that longs for people to be drawn to him. So short term, it could feel more painful than pleasurable. You could maybe think of something that would be really pleasurable to do in the moment. Immediate gratification. But when your heart is aligned with God's heart, and you're seeking to please Him, you're saying, "God, wh- what what does please you? God, what do you want? What are you doing? How do you want me to join you? How do you want me to pray?" And this can form a pattern in your life. When it says He's devout, it means He doesn't offer up one-time prayers when He's in trouble. When it says He's devout, it means. He's got a pattern or a history of being faithful. It means it's not flashy, but it's faithful. And it's so pleasing to God. God sees it. He sees it. And so what does God see when he looks at our lives? Does he see dependence upon him through prayer? does he see generosity not just with our finances but with our time with our gifts with uh, our our willingness to be in relationship with people does he see the dependence that that comes with fasting you know it's really interesting that these three things that are being described about Cornelius are the same three things that Jesus in his sermon on the mount says will will be seen in his disciples. He doesn't say, if you pray, if you give, and if you fast. He says, when you pray, pray like this. When you give, give like this. When you fast, fast like this and not like this. Each of these things are like demonstrations of uh, a life of dependence upon God and love for God that outworks in a pattern of devout, faithful living. And again, this has nothing to do with earning God's favor. Remember, in Christ, we are favored; we have all the favor of God. But there's this other there's this other theme that runs all the way through Scripture that I think it's encapsulated in Hebrews eleven six, which says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists." And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, the author of Hebrews is writing that to believers. And he's saying to believers, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. I think it's a reward for Cornelius. Not only to receive Jesus, that is a massive and the biggest reward, but it's an honor for him to be caught up in, in this matrix of what God's doing. It's an honor for him to be that first Gentile. It's an honor for him to get to lead his family to the Lord. It's an honor to be involved in this unfolding drama that he'll never forget. That's an honor. And that type of honor, it happens to those who earnestly seek God. Sometimes it unfolds like this, and sometimes it unfolds in very different ways. But the point is that earnestly seeking God brings with it rewards. I heard a preacher say in the past weeks: sometimes Christians in the church look at other Christians, and they, they have a measure of maybe jealousy. Oh, that person always seems to succeed or be blessed, or they're just kind of always lifted up. And he said, when you see somebody being honored or anointed or blessed, He said, if you see that in public, you can know that there's something in private behind it. There's a life, there's a hidden life with God, a life of sacrifice, of devotion, a life of prayer that's behind it. It never comes in public without first being in private. That's what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't seek honor from people, seek it with God and God will honor you. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he'll lift you up. He'll lift you up like he lifted Cornelius up. And so I think God's message to us this morning is is twofold. One, just a chance to evaluate what's rising before the throne of the one who sees all things. And is it pleasing? And as it is, to know and be encouraged that that life of devotion that's pleasing to God, places us in the same place of Cornelius as being caught up in the works that God's doing so long as we obey. Because Cornelius could have missed it all had he left that vision and done what would have been very tempting to do. What just happened? Was that real? Was I hallucinating? If I talk about this to people, are they going to think I'm crazy? Send three of my people 30 miles. Send 30 miles to a Jew. Jews don't like us. We're the occupier. This is... See, it takes faith. But he's already got a history of faith with God. He's got a resource to draw upon. And so he's able to act in this moment. He's able to obey. He discerns and obeys. Okay. Here's how I'd like to end this sermon. Rather than go to prayer, I'd like to go to silence or silent prayer for a couple of minutes. And I'd just like the Lord to give, give ourselves some space and some silence and let's just reflect on what we've heard And let the Lord speak to us about what's arising freely as a love offering out of our life to the Lord and our obedience and our desire to not only seek the Lord, but continue to be used by him. And then the worship team will lead us in in response in a few minutes.